We have traveled this weekend far and wide, both within us, ourselves, and all over the world. We've traveled from Burma to Martha's Vineyard. We've traveled from the inner world of intention to don't know to places of fear within us. We've gone from uh, childhood and difficulties and challenges and core karmic knots, abuse, and uh, we've gone to the critical care unit in the hospital and to the bedside of people that are dying. There have been so many flowers this weekend, haven't there? There have been all these flowers, the the gay princess <laughs> and the fireworks and all these flowers, we flowers opening into our greatest loveliness. And it's tempting and in some sense almost understandable and perhaps altogether reasonable that we might associate being in a sacred space of this degree of um, togetherness and silence and of holding one another and of being, uh, we've spoken so much about the light and the darkness and the God am, what was it? The God am light. I don't want to go toward the God am light. I don't want to go toward the God am light. <laughs> we've gone towards the light, we've gone towards the darkness. <laughs> and it's tempting to associate just the real loveliness of moments just like this one with places on mountaintops and places that we go to. And these places are of course precious and lovely and for which I certainly will always be grateful. But to some extent what happens here must hopefully uh, flower in the everydayness of the lives from which we've come. And so it felt appropriate in this final session together to perhaps look at the possibilities and the challenges of living these very beautiful qualities, the qualities of truth, which essentially is about being present, being alive to what is right here, right now, the circumstances in which we find ourselves, in the unfolding of life. And how it is to do that, uh, that's with the wisdom and then with uh, compassion, with love, to be alive, to be awake, to be open-hearted within the circumstances, to explore the capacity for open-hearted and to be available to those landscapes where the heart is closed and where it feels like we lost. So we thought it might be an idea, and I had this, this as we were walking around the pond together, maybe just to be open the session insofar as our part was concerned, uh, just to kind of like maybe offer our, I wouldn't say top ten because then we'll be here till seven o'clock, but maybe our top four suggestions over all the years of working with ourselves with others that have been most helpful in terms of 
integrating this practice, of transitioning it, of bringing it alive with a sense of celebration and aliveness with what you called the beginner's mind. How is it that we can keep this uh, alive, succulent um, living in the everydayness of, of our lives? How does that sound? Is that good? <laughs> Paul? <laughs> <laughs> You want to start? Mm-hmm. Huh? Unless you want to. Um, yeah. Well, we could take go back and forth okay. instead of all four at once. Huh? Okay. I could, I'll do whatever you want. Okay. Start or not, so. Okay. Um, well, I think certainly it's really helpful in my experience over the years to at some point in the unfolding of the day to to touch in every way that feels appropriate what it is that brings us here together this weekend. Carving out a body of time as we've done to be together is not an easy thing and yet there is something there that stirred us to come to make the journey to travel, to be here, to to um, perhaps touch places in ourselves that we'd not always be willing to touch. And so uh, having some sort of daily connection with, with, with that. And so um, uh, a regular uh, meditation practice, but not an imposed meditation practice, but one that, that is a part of the unfolding of the day, seems really critical. It's almost like there's this, this blessing of, of, of um, allowing uh, uh, I, I call them like islands in the day. It's almost like they're islands. It might be in the morning I meditate and that's one island and then at lunchtime I may sort of do some walking meditation or some reflection where I, I touch again this, this sense of what feels really important for me. And then in the evening before going to bed maybe there's, there's a period of time where I touch it again. And so over the years it feels like these these islands of intention, we spoke about intention this weekend, uh, are coming together more and more in a more sort of interwoven way and what then becomes possible is really the living in, in the everydayness of life of these qualities that I value so much. I, I kind of feel like I'm reflecting on how that's challenging. I mean, I think that um, after my first retreat and subsequent retreats, initially I think that I used to expect too much of myself, and I would leave with a, a great desire to be able to do more in my daily life of sort of formal practice or even informal practice than I actually could pull off. So I would kind of leave with this great determination and then get so frustrated and <laughs> just say, well, I can't, and I'd give up. And so there was this sort of a swing of um, coming into re- uh, like a maybe a 10-day retreat and then trying too hard and then 
not totally giving up, but just feeling like if you look at our lists, I don't know if you make lists, but most of us make lists of what we have to do in a day. And it usually doesn't include a lot of our spiritual practice. And, you know, that's what I have found really interesting to see. Um, I did a two-week two self-retreat at the end of March this year, and it's almost like it's a different world when you're on a retreat. You can't really recall how you wouldn't have that time. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so hard to understand how they can be so different. You know, I, I was in New England, and I had um, my... I get really bad bloody noses and allergic to the heat. And so I bought this really nice humidifier. And um, every day on my retreat, I just loved filling the humidifier up. You know, like, and it just seemed like I had plenty of time. And, you know, it was just kind of a nice ritual. And then the retreat ended, and I had to teach a month retreat. And within a day, I couldn't find the time to fill it up. And it would be like midnight. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I have to fill the humidifier. You know, you know how it, it just, it's so interesting that it can be that, just, just the difference between like this kind of atmosphere which is so luxurious in terms of the feeling of enough time to really take a step. And, I just find it fascinating, actually, just that difference. And I, for me, what I started to really look at was the quality of my lists and um, just how how much I would see I wouldn't make a priority out of my spiritual life, and that you know I couldn't expect to wake up and people be just saying, okay, Michelle, why don't you just take an hour to free yourself today, you know? I mean, how many of you have that? I don't, you know, I don't have that kind of a life where people just, and then, you know, why don't you take another hour off in the afternoon? And, you know, it's not generally for most of us that kind of um, an experience. And so I think that that I think it's really important to carve out the time. And I think it's important to make an, an honest self-assessment of, of what's really possible. Because I think we can often do that. I think if you really take an honest self-assessment, sort of get your type, you know, and then kind of see, I think it's really helpful to have a routine. I do. I think it's like if if you're a person who tends to wake up and have a lot of energy and can get up early enough to sit, I think it's it's great. And I think if you're not that type, I think it's good to carve it out like after work or before you go to bed. But I do think some kind of routine and some kind of place in the home where there's you can kind of fall out of bed and get on the cushion. You know, I mean that that's that easy. You know that you don't have to set something up. That, that's how we are, most of us, you know, that, uh, that, that honest self-assessment and then doing what we, we can, usually that can um, grow, you know, yeah. it'll grow. And I feel like when we, ever, when we try to do too much, then we get frustrated and it tends to weaken. Um, so that's my advice, is to really just really look at the course of your day and make an effort to do a little 
And I found that when I did that, it would grow. And on the weekends, I usually found that um, when I was home in Honolulu, my, my home had some, it was always like kids or visitors. I would take um, three hours every Sunday morning to go to a park and uh, meditate, sit and walk in the park. And I actually found that chunk of time to be really important. You know, that instead of like 45 minutes that a day, like which I try to do, but that that couple of hours of silence, you know, my, um, I just found it really helpful. And some, you know, most of us can try to pull something like that off, even if it's every other weekend or every three weekends. But that chunk has a power to it of of, of practice. And it, you know, it, it wasn't at my home, and it was fine. Mm. So it's really different. I mean, for each of us, we each mm-hmm. have to find our own life. For me, I don't know if it's a testosterone thing, mm-hmm. but it's like for me, it's like, you know. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna meditate every day, and it's like the day will fall around that, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it's almost like um, uh, I don't know. There's just a way that there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of sort of like young energy mm-hmm. around it. You know, it's just you know it it makes a difference, and the one thing that but also, like, I don't know how it was for you when I when I walked down to the pond today, and we walked in the other direction. It was like it's so hard to break habits, you know. I, you know, I even had this thought that went through my mind that said, "People are going to hate me because I'm going the wrong way." <laughs> you know, it's so easy to get into habits, and you know, we get used to them. And and then after that thought came, I thought, "I'm going to go back," you know, the other way, just just to break. Habits, and so I also find it helpful to not to not get into a routine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the routine can have its own kind of comfort, and in that there isn't like a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think that when people are really busy. That having a routine helps. That's my, in my own sense of myself. That when I have a little more space, I can break the routines. But if you just like a, a kind of mostly typical Western life, that that routine is, um, it's almost like the only yin part of the day. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's really. I think that that's what I see. That. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. yeah, it's it's you know my feeling is that again, I mean the Big Island is a little more laid back than Honolulu, and it's a little more laid back than some places. But I don't when I come here, and I come here often, just seeing the traffic like in Wainea, or just seeing you know mm. the traffic around um, uh, Hilo the other day. It's just like you can feel it just. Friday afternoon in Hilo, it's like people are really stressed, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is. It's just like, and I think that um, I, I think that again, there's some way in which perhaps we just are getting faster and faster, and that it's just that that any to me, 
generally speaking, in all the teaching I've done over the years, basically, I feel like people are drowning spiritually. It's like we live in a desert. The culture is a desert spiritually. And we need a lot of support in whatever way we can to eke out um, a, a, that um, ability to listen to our commitment to our spiritual life. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, and it, it's like there aren't, unless you live an unusual life, again, some people do, but most people that I know in the world are just drowning in terms of busyness and that, that, that it takes energy to eke out something. <laughs> and that it's so sad. But I think I see more and more people are actually uh, also doing it. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's like in the, in the old days when I would go to teach somewhere and I'd be in an airplane like in 1980 and somebody asked me what I did, I almost wouldn't want to say. You know, it would just be like, just like, uh, you know, <laughs> there'd always be some sort of reaction or judgment. Or, and then they'd say something like, oh, mediation. You know, or, you know, they just wouldn't even hear it. You know, it would just be just, and now I don't want to say it because if I do, people will want to talk the whole plane ride. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really shifted to, I don't say because <laughs> they're going to just talk my ear off. You know, and that's a huge shift in our culture. So there is, there is that level where people are much more open to meditation. They're, you know, they're more interested. And on the other side of it, um, there's so much pro pressure to be everything. You know, there's, there's, there's exercise. There's diet. Yeah, the the book club. You know, I don't know. You know, you just see like we have our culture. We have so much access to so much, and there's a beauty in it. And, and there's a really so much pre pressure in it, you know. And somehow I, I also feel like one did, does have to make choices, you know, somehow um, you have to let go of something to do this, usually. Yeah. Generally, I'm, I'm yeah. saying generally for most people in the culture that you can't fit everything in that you want to do, usually, and that that there again has to be some sort of commitment to um, sitting there day after day and realizing that sometimes it doesn't feel that good. You know, sometimes when you sit every day, it's not going to be um, total bliss. It's like you're cleaning out your. It's like you're cleaning out the heart. And so, like, say you, you know, say we asked you to come in here and clean out this room, or clean the bathroom, or clean, clean anything, or clean out your car. We are so good at cleaning. You know, like, we can, we really get cleaning, you know, the kitchen and doing the dishes. Culturally, again, we're really good at it. But the thought of cleaning out our heart or our mind, again, we, we wait until it's, like, accumulated to the point where it's, like, we can't stand ourselves, and then it's like, oh, maybe I should sit, you know. And that's like the idea of a daily practice is that it doesn't accumulate to the point where we're so obnoxious, like, that uh, we need help. <laughs> or somebody tells us we need help. Yeah. 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 And I find, again, that image is really helpful because when I realize that it's really 
a daily practice is basically cleaning you out. And that if you do a little more, like Gavin's saying, the islands, if you do a little more and you stay with it, deepening happens. It's not just a cleansing, but an actual deepening. And that's what's kind of exciting is that I've seen again over time that when you do kind of patiently, this takes a lot of patience, put in your time, that um, it's not just the daily life practice isn't just the cleansing, but it's also a lot of deep work is happening. Mm -hmm. There's this wonderful image that the Tibetans use of the glass that you know, every moment of beginning again is a drop in the glass, mm. and while it's a big glass and there's no sense of that glass getting filled, that there's a time when all of a sudden we realize the glass is filled, and for them that's the moment when we we live um, more the essential nature of the mind, which that the mind is in its essence. They call this rikpa. It it is in its essence aware. It's not that there has to be an effort to be aware that it's almost like, like you know, M Michelle's images of the clouds opening and then we just, there's a remembering of what has been forgotten, that, that the mind is essentially aware and that just this willingness to come back again and again to what is, is almost um, uh, um, inclining us towards a, a an experience of the mind that is really true and um, I mean I love the uh, framing of the whole journey as pretty fundamentally not one about cultivating you know of cultivating certain states of mind and exercising certain states of mind that that ultimately it's about remembering what was always there and what is also always possible and potential in every moment. So just in this bringing back, we're bringing us, we, we are coming back to that particular landscape where all that is possible as birthright and potential, not as privilege or happenstance, is an immediate possibility. Absolutely here, absolutely now. And for me, like, you know, daily practice, some sort of connecting with that and inclining towards that, perhaps is all that we can do. Mm. I mean, it's so easy to get into the mindset that we're changing or we're cultivating something that in which we're sort of lacking. And I think that that's really sad, you know. Yeah. Like a deficiency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's the original sin <laughs> rather than the original innocence. Mm. There's a little bit more I wanted to say about what we might have to give up, and that I don't know how it is so much in the Big Island here, because I come in and out, but I know kind of the last few months of teaching on the mainland, it feels like there's such a shift toward um, a lack of funding in so many areas, 
that if you are working in places like social welfare or activism or um, really any kind of helping profession that is funded um, or just in any kind of um, business that is not hugely successful or an artist or, you know, that, that I think that um, yeah. even at this meditation center I was just teaching it, that, that there's this en- emphasis on efficiency. It's just interesting to kind of um, notice how people's jobs, for example, like my family, like a lot of people's jobs are really on the line and the pressure to have to produce more and have less time and um, less time at home. It's just that that culturally, again, that's kind of becoming the norm. And I don't know if that's so much in your own lives, but certainly you're probably around it. And one of the things I've been really contemplating is that it's just a sense of... um, the time where we don't do anything, how important it is. And so it's like um, at this meditation center I've been working at for some years, there's this push to like fill it all the time. And I'm Mm. like, I just think it's totally crazy because the beauty of the place has been, and for the staff there, that there's been time in between courses. And that that time in between courses is a breathing space. And I think that really I see that there's such a war on the feminine right now. If you look at the world, and again, it might not be specifically in Ahuoloa, but generally speaking, there's a a war on the feminine if you just look at our our policies with our government and what's happening in Iraq. And... um, if you look at that in terms of moment-to-moment experience, it's like when do you value like an empty beach? When you know, like when you're walking on the sand and it's like you see the footprints and then a, a wave comes and it, it just it starts all over again. Or the end of an outbreath. You know, it's very hard to be with the end of an outbreath. It's really easy to be with the beginning of the breath. It's really hard to be with that out-breath and then that pause. And that's what we're talking about. It's like, can we value the time when it might be boring or not exciting or... um, just, just restful and calm. And, And to me, that's... That's what I feel like is important about practice in daily life, is, is to really see if there's places in our day that we can eke out that calm and value it, because it's maybe not overstimulating, um, but a breathing place where, where, where the energy builds again. <laughs> Not so easy. Yeah. Yeah. How's it feel?
I really value a garden. Mm. To, to me, that's not something I have to. Um, I mean, I feel I'm, I've got a number of years instead of striving, and I say, oh, I have pockets of there's always some place in the garden, too. Mm, that's great. <laughs> Resource me. That's great. Mm. It reminds me of what Anne was saying yesterday about the flowers seen for themselves, that perhaps going to nature is really another way of coming home certainly is for me, you know, now. Mm. I guess I feel sort of compelled to talk a little bit about Tanda and Zulu sometimes, because I think, for me, uh, having a regular group of people interested in really makes a big difference in my practice and uh, how blessed we are to have you to meet us in that two places on the island and I guess I feel like I want to encourage people here who might not even know about those singers and have them because I know it's very important for me and I imagine that would be important So just to let people know that uh, we have a sitting group in Waimea and Phyllis is the contact person, happens at Matilda's home, and there's a sitting group in um, Halualoa in, in, in Kona, and all the information of that's on the website. And these are not the only sitting groups. There's a sitting group at Kathleen and Peter Golden in Volcano, at uh, Susie Dorian's home every Monday evening in, in Kona. So, you know, there, is, there are a lot of groups at um, Robert Aiken Roshi. There's a regular sitting on Sunday mornings in Kalapana. So, um, there's, there are a lot of contact being with others. And um, for many people, certainly myself, those, as you say, are great blessing, regular groups. Something usually different happens when you're sitting with a group or even one other. I think of a group as two people, <laughs> so it doesn't have to be <laughs> a three, but two. It's just a different quality. And I think I actually value sitting alone and I value sitting with other people. I think they're different and they're both really helpful. One of the things, I mean, over the years of our city groups in Kona, we had our third anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, you know, it's like we're growing up together, you know, and we get to know each other and our ups and downs and we see ourselves reflected and sometimes we learn lessons from others that maybe we don't have to learn ourselves, you know. So it's a wonderful thing to sort of come together regularly like that, grow. I've certainly grown. I 
Michelle said we only did one out of eight. <laughs> Does anybody have? Well, no, we had the garden. Right. No, no, I meant we were supposed to present four. Oh, I know. I was just joking. I know. <laughs> we're in the home stretch. And was that? I just keep having this um, thing come up. It's a Krishna Murti saying, and it said, "It is there is no." It is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. And I, I'm thinking that in the last couple, three months, I've really let my business kind of go down and I have all this wonderful time for myself. And I just really, I, I really needed to get to the place where I didn't feel that anxiety and that rush and that I have to do things and that, that stress of being behind someone in a car and having to be, you know, rushed or stressed. And, it's been wonderful for my spirit, and it really sucks for my outer life and my finances. And you know, it's hard to be adjusted to the society that we live in. And I feel like I almost have to enjoy being a freak to have a spiritual life. You know, and it's becoming okay. You know, because I'm surrounding myself with like-minded freaks. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just it's just a it's a compelling balance. And I think I mean on, on this island. It seems like people, a lot of people just do lots of different things. If they don't already have, it would very, very simply already have money or like do, you know, two or three or four things to make ends meet. And it's very stressful in a different kind of mm -hmm. way than the city. Would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think like... That's, like what I, that's what I was trying to address, that yeah. I think that economically it's quite tough and that sometimes depending on whether you have children or not, um, there's a way in which you can simplify a bit. You know, and I think that simplification does does help. That's what I meant by giving some stuff up. That um, I, I'm not at all suggesting that you can, that most people can give up enough to give up all stress. I think that there's quite a bit of stress and that's a, you know, I think you can learn to work with it. But I do think there's sort of an extra level that we can all look at and see, can we cut back a bit there? And I think of that as renunciation. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, yeah, and so, you know, I think that it, renunciation is really a kindness to ourselves. And, and I think each of us have a different life so that we can't necessarily say, well, you should do this or you should do that. But certainly we can each look at our lives and see, where it would be kind to ourselves to cut back a bit and to see if we could survive financially from that place of cutting back a bit. Mm -hmm. And, and um, again, that's a very different question for different people. Like I think that a good parent, for example, expresses a lot of renunciation. You know, I just, it just like if you if you you're consistently having to renounce. To, to parent well, and and I think that householders aren't encouraged enough to see that, you know that that, and I think if you are a, a reasonably um, healthy person in the world, then you are probably renouncing a lot to be a healthy, uh, giving person in the world. Mm. And that, that we don't always get a lot of uh, strokes for that. I mean, if you look at the qualities of generosity or forgiveness or kindness, um, there's so much we practice in daily life 
that we often don't give ourselves credit for. And when I went, when I did this article on patience, because I figured I was conditioned to be maybe the most impatient person in the world by my dad, <laughs> you know, and it's just like I kept looking at, well, when am I patient? Or when are other people patient? And I actually saw that I was patient a lot more than I thought on one level. And then on another level, I could see where I wasn't being patient. And I find that kind of taking one thing like that, like patience or forgiveness or kindness, and you know, really taking a couple of weeks to reflect on it, it's really helpful practice. It's just, it's just, it's really fun to kind of look and see, oh, whatever we think about ourselves, oh, I'm not a very generous person, or I'm a, I'm a generous person, or I'm not a very loving person, or whatever it is, these are all really fun things to inquire into and explore and to see. Usually you'll surprise yourself and see that you are a lot more of these spiritual qualities than you think, and to give yourself credit for that. And, and then out of that strength, Seeing your strength, I think then we can have a lot more um, capacity to see where we might be weaker and not judge ourselves because we can feel our strength in some places. And then I do believe in stretching a bit in places that maybe we need a little stretching. You know, it's fun to stretch a little bit. I think also, you know, I mean, there's a lot of humility also, you know, I think, you know, living a conscious life. You know, certainly my experience calls for a kind of humility. Like, for example, um, you know, for a number of years now, I've been looking at this question of busyness, and you know, like not being, you know, I have to believe that a full, integrated, total wildlife is possible without it being a driven life and to see where the living of my life dips into into that kind of almost like a collective frenzy like my landlord in Puerco used to come and used to say to me hello hello how are you doing you know and I'd, I'd say fine Shiro how are you doing he'd say busy 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 <laughs> as, as uh, you know and then he would say to me are you busy 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 and I would say no and it was like there was something wrong with me, you know, there was something like fundamentally wrong. And I think it's kind of radical to incline one's heart towards a full life, a total life where we're not, you know, holding back life and, you know, necessarily, you know, protecting ourselves from the pace of it, but still, you know, to have, to incline towards the possibility of still being present and not blown around like a leaf. And it's hard. I mean, Michelle and I had, you know, this incredible day together when she arrived and we went for an early morning swim at the new beach and it was just fantastic and, you know, it was and everything and, you know, we had our fruit salad and we caught up and we danced. And then it was like she had to go and drop off her rental car and I had to go and collect gas and go to the post office and, uh, you know, do a whole bunch of other things. And I picked up m my screens in Hilo and was driving out of the of uh, a lumen site in, in, in Hilo 
going to pick up Michelle, you've been waiting for me. I had tons of phone calls I had to do. It was fine. <laughs> she was at the airport making phone calls on the curbside. <laughs> was a lot of work to do. <laughs> and I came out and I was buttoning up my seatbelt. And this cop stepped out and said, like that, like it. And it was like, and I, and, you know, I said to him, I was putting on my seatbelt. And he said, you are on a public road. And I said to him, you know, have you got no compassion? <laughs> compassion? <laughs> and it was like, it was like, the word just like, was like Teflon, it just like, and he just like, was just like, writing out this ticket, and he gave it to me. And, you know, I was upset, it was a lot of money, and I was upset, I was just like shaken. And then it was like, you know, when I got to Michelle, I said, <laughs> you know, and it was like, I was in a, f I, you know, I'd stepped into a kind of pace, because ordinarily, that's something I would do, you know, I'd put on the seatbelt, but I was sort of ahead of myself, and that's the humility, you know, and I had a price to pay for it, you know, 77 bucks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't a $280 speeding ticket. ticket yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, this is just me and I have a little bit of energy around it, but I think it's a radical thing in this world to incline towards both the full life and not a life that is greasing the wheels of this incredible pace. Like, like you know, I have this, where I'm living now, there's no television because the antenna doesn't work, and there's no radio because the radio signal doesn't get there. So I actually, and I don't get a newspaper, so there's no newspaper, there's no television, there's no radio down there. And, you know, all I get is on my screen every day I get the New York Times, so I get the headlines on the New York Times, and that's it. And in some ways it's been a real blessing because it's felt like, you know, I'm not with, a, with my head in the, in the sand, but it almost feels like, okay, this is a time for stepping back from this. And, you know, I think one of the blessings of the meditation practice must be the deepening capacity for, you know, a kind of di discriminating wisdom and just knowing when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. And so this might be your season for, for maybe not doing as much body work and kind of coming home and then it'll change and you'll know and then there'll be more. And, I'll get the newspaper or, heaven forbid, a satellite dish or something. Although <laughs> well, I will be able to get sex in the city. <laughs> in the world and not of the world. It sounds like you're suggesting that discriminating wisdom is a spiritual practice. It's just like meditation. Can you say more about what you well, mean by discriminating wisdom? When you um, were asking yourselves and us what are your things that support the path, and I've been listening with my heart and I've been thinking about what, if any of these, resonates inside, and you just said discriminating wisdom. That's where I want to come from in, in being my everyday life, the busyness of my everyday life. Mm. So that the drivenness isn't 
make bad wants. So when I have those moments of drivenness, I'm not beating myself up, but then I have this aspiration towards something rather than a pushing away of something. So I like that six swimming. Just it sounds like a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. That's just a thought I'm mm-hmm. trying to reflect on. But I appreciate that you brought it up yeah. in this context of how can we go out of this retreat into our everyday life. Because I've, I've approached it from, well, I need to carve out time, mm-hmm. or I need to um, be less busy or less driven. I mean, I've had all of those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Somehow I do better when I'm inspired towards mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. rather than when I feel um, I should or I know, you know, just that there's some kind of lightheartedness that mm-hmm. comes when I think about practice of discriminating wisdom from that place mm-hmm. of kindness and of awakening you know what I sometimes do? It's like, you know, if I'm in a situation and I'm not sure which way to turn and, you know, I, you know I've, I'm not like deeply, you know, connected, I'll just stop and I'll ask this question, what would love do now? What would love do now? And then I just wait. Do you get a feeling of that? And it's almost like, in some ways it's, you know, it, 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 it can often provide a trustworthy direction in the middle of, of sort of chaos. Because it's my experience that, you know, when I'm in the driven cycle, that actually I get less done than if there's just a moment of pause and just, whew, okay, and now I go into it from a different place rather than that top-heavy leaning forward. And for me, that's the, that's kind of radical because often it's not that way, in my experience. Well, where that took me inside myself was, um, I may still have a lot to do. I may be very busy. If I can stop and pause like that, my motivation for whatever I'm doing could shift Mm. from a drivenness to uh, more presence and joy. Mm. And that would be such a gift in my idea to stop mm. and pause and have the, the business or the busy activity still there, but the place from which I'm coming is mm-hmm. I think we've got another one there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great, yeah. yeah. I think I kind of enjoy going fast sometimes. I mean, I think that that's another thing to... I don't, I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I think that when I see that I have so much to do which I do a lot. Um, I don't know necessarily. I think it's it's more what I'm hearing from you both and what can be maybe useful in this is that I don't necessarily feel like it's being driven if, if you realize you don't have to be driven and still go fast. Do you, do you see what I mean? I mean, it's like if you experiment even with different styles of walking meditation, there's really slow, there's medium, there's fast. And I think they're both really, they're, all three of those speeds are really useful to practice because sometimes we need to go fast. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we need, it's good to go slow. And, you know, sometimes I do have a really long list. And I, I kind of, I actually have fun. I have fun with seeing what I can get done and going faster. 
you know. But I, I think there's a difference when it, you're on overwhelm. And I think that that's what, where I would distinguish between when I'm feeling overwhelmed, it's like I don't feel like I can possibly accomplish what I've got to do. And it's like this, it's, that's, it's just, and that buildup of that day after day is really debilitating. You know, and I think stopping and set, what, what I try to do when I'm feeling overwhelmed is really stop and just look at what is possible to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Rather than just try to do everything, mm-hmm. so, you know, and that I think that's a really interesting place of when are we in overwhelm, and to stop and see that it doesn't help. You know, that's the mm-hmm. worst part is that the strategy actually doesn't help. I see where I'll start worrying and get getting overwhelmed, and and then it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, stop. And sometimes, like like, if when my list is long and if I stop and just have that pause, it almost like it shifts completely the whole climate in which everything is done, mm-hmm. even if it's done swiftly. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like in this move to the other side of the island, I just had so much to do. And I knew that potentially, probably at any other time of my life, with everything that I had to do, you know, it would have knocked me out. And I just was absolutely resolved that I would do it and I was not going to get sick. And um, there was something about a lot of pausing mm-hmm. and just not, you know, and that's me. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, this is going to be celebration. This move is a, a move of love and it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to do, do, do damage, violence. You know, that's that Rumi poem about love is a madman, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, just fierce. How are we doing here? We've got about another 10 minutes or so. And then we can have, yes, Natalie. Well, I have to just move. And, um, but I notice is if I thought of the whole job and over immediately, okay. and if I gave myself one kind of focused task, I could go really fast and be very present. Yeah. And I would see, because I didn't get so much done, because all this extra overwhelming mental energy wasn't being spent trying to hold the whole job. And then I'd pause after that, like gathering all the little objects and putting those in the box, you know, and then they've got to be all sealed up and all that. And then the books, and then I just, it's like I just gave them like a simple one task thing to focus on. Huh. And the jaw just kept going through it. And I like you, Gavin, could just wipe my body out with this, and especially the mental stress and stuff, does it? Yeah. So the physical got enlivened the more, um, the more creative, uh, something like Casey said about the body just knows what to do. Mm. The hands are just moving the books off the shelf and packing them into the box. I'm not in there thinking, well, will this fit in the box? I just and by the time I was surveying the whole situation, I realized how little mind energy it took to accomplish a great deal. Mm. And without that extra energy, it just did not work that well. Yeah. And um, but when I go to all that I still have left to do, or you know, in a certain kind of way, nobody's there to 
to see that difference again in cult- just in culture that we expect so much in our culture of what we can get done. And then you add in everything. Like if you have email plus an answering machine now. I mean, it's so funny. Before, at least you could only have to listen to those messages, right? I mean, it's just sort of funny. You know, all these things that are supposed to be saving us time. You know, they just, they just, it's so, our culture is so funny that way. You know? <laughs> we just keep getting more and more ability to uh, download information and make ourselves kind of nuts. <laughs> So it's just this sweeping it kind of again, you know, making enough space. It's the same old question. Mm. Inner, sp- inner space and outer space. Mm. <laughs> Actually, I've done that my home answer machine broke, and I did not get another one because I have an answer machine at work. We have email. Mm-hmm. Our cell phones take answering, you know, and it drives people nuts. They cannot <laughs> stand it that there's a telephone that. It just rings, right? It just rings, yeah. And people say that, you know, like something's wrong with your phone, it just rang. (laughs) 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 Or I was eating and I decided not to be slave to the telephone and pick it up because Mm -hmm. my priority is having my meal with my husband. So it's really interesting. I mean, it picks people up. They get over it. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've got, you know, I've got email because I do the emailing for the retreats and stuff. But I don't really do personal emailing. There are a number of people that are really pissed off with me <laughs> because, you know, I've got email and we're not emailing each other, and I don't want to get into fifty thousand emails on my email on my computer. as we approach our final chapter of the weekend. Is there anybody who hasn't spoken who would like to say something before we break? What we'll do is we'll do a quick walking and then we'll come together for a closing. Is there anybody that has anything? It's kind of our last 
time of hearing from each other. Okay, maybe sit together for a moment, please.